Good morning. We're into one of the great stories of Jesus, the story of the healing of the guy at Bethesda, a wonderful miracle story. Although John doesn't call them miracles, John uses the word signs. He says that these are signs. And he tells of seven signs in the book. And and the, the seven miracle stories. We've looked at a couple already. Doc preached the turning the water into wine, uh, the, the first miracle at the wedding in Canaan. Last week, Dallas talked of the, the official son who was healed in Capernaum while Jesus was up in Cana. Today, the healing of the, of the lame man, the invalid at Bethesda. Next week, uh, Jesus feeding 5,000 and walking on the water. In John chapter 9, the healing of the blind guy. And then, of course, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Seven signs. So we're up to the third one in John chapter 5. If you have your journal, turn there. We'll read what, what, what John writes. Sometime later, after he healed the, the boy in Capernaum, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem a sheep gate, near the sheep gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Doesn't that sound nice? Five-colored colonnades, what would that be like? I don't know. Think of it as, the, as maybe the, the mall in Washington, D.C., and maybe you're standing underneath the, the Lincoln Memorial. Sounds beautiful, sounds nice, sounds wonderful. It wasn't that. It was called the Sheep Gate, but there were people there. Think of the saddest, the most sad place you've been. Where would that be? The most sad place you've ever been in your entire life. When I thought about that, I thought of three places. Actually, one was in El Salvador when I was on a mission trip. The missionary took me and a few people with our group to a place of extreme poverty. A place with no running water, no electricity, raw sewage running down the, down the street, malnourished uh, dogs, malnourished children. It was, the sights and the sounds were incredibly horrible. I, I can't describe for you the, the, the extreme level of poverty in that location. Horrible. When I think of places here in the United States where I've been that would have been extremely sad, they weren't terrible places, but terribly sad. One was at Children's Mercy Hospital on the oncology floor when children were dying of cancer. I can't describe for you the, the, the sadness, the overwhelming sadness in that location. In the second place, also not a bad location, but the sadness was an a eating disorder clinic where I went in there and there was adults, mostly women, who were dying of an eating disorder. So if you try to wrap up those sad places into one location, it would be like Bethesda. Verse 3 tells us here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. This isn't a happy place. This is an incredibly sad place filled with a lot of hurting people. It, it, it doesn't have verse 4 in this version. You have to go down to the bottom of the page to read verse 4. Verse 4 was probably added later. Maybe John wrote it, but, but more than likely someone just added in. Why are all these lame people and sick people at this place? And somebody wrote... They waited for the moving waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir the waters. The first one into the pool, after such disturbance, would be cured of whatever disease they had. Now, I don't know where that superstition started. 
I don't know if anybody was ever actually healed when the waters kind of bubbled up. But that was the idea. So now you get it. Okay, I know why all these people are there. I know why all those sick people are there. They're hoping, hoping, hoping that somehow the waters would be bubbling and they'd be the first one in, only the first one, and they would be healed. What this tells me, you know what this tells me? Jesus shows up there. Jesus goes to where the hurting are. Jesus always goes to the hurting. And so in hospital wards, in funeral homes, in nursing homes, in crack houses, Jesus goes to the hurting where the people are hurting, where they're lonely, where they're sad. He was an invalid for 38 years. Ah, I know how long 38 years ago is. Any Tiger fan knows 38 years ago. 38 years ago was 1984 when the Detroit Tigers beat the San Diego Padres for the World Series. The last time they ever won. For the last 38 years, my heart has been ripped up, stomped on. 38 years? Are you kidding me? I know how long 38 years. Believe me, my friends in Kansas City, those stinking Royal fans, they remind me every day, 38 years ago, 38 years ago, 38, stop it already, I get it, 38 years ago. 1984, where were you in 1984? Some of you weren't, Tyler wasn't even born, for crying out loud. 38 years ago, I was 20 years old. 38 years ago, 1984, gas was $1.10 a gallon. 38 years ago, you could buy... That, 1984 was the first year that Mac, the Apple Macintosh computer was for sale. $2,500 for a brand new Apple Macintosh computer in 1984. A brand new Corvette, $23,392. 1984. The Summer Olympics were held in Los Angeles. Do you remember that? Russia boycotted the Olympics. McDonald's had a game where if you scratched off the game, if the United States won a gold medal, you got a free Big Mac. The Russians weren't there. We were winning gold medals left and right. Man, oh man, I ate so many Big Macs that summer. Carla and I were dating. I said, let's go out to eat, baby. Where are we going? No, we're going to McDonald's. (laughs) Big spender, Rob. 1984. This guy had been hurting since 1984, an invalid since 1984. I don't know that we can totally comprehend the the situation in the first century. Life expectancy, he'd had this for 38 years. Life expectancy was somewhere under that. 36, 37 years. Life expectancy, so you could say he'd spend a lifetime as an invalid. No, no, no wheelchair ramps, no wheelchairs, no a Ben Gay, no medicines, no anything to help for 38 years. Let's read on. When Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. I don't like the way the NIV reads. This is the new international version that we're using this summer. And actually, I like the King James version better. Because it translates the word learned, ganos is the, is the uh, uh, Greek word there, which means knowledge. Usually it's translated as knowledge or knowing. And so, so it sounds like, when you read it, it sounds like Jesus was saying, man, you see that guy over there? He's kind of scraggly. Uh, tell me a little bit about him. What's his name? Where has he been? 38 years. Woo, that's a lot. Who knew? 38 years. 
That's what it sounds like. But Jesus knew. I think Jesus knew. He saw that guy. He knew what was going on. He knew, oh, that guy's been there 38 years. He knew everything about him. He knew, he knew his life experiences. He knew how, how, how difficult it had been. Jesus saw him and knew. Just like Jesus knows you. He knows your circumstance. He knows your situations. He knows your joys, your sorrows. He knows you. Get this. He knows the worst moment of your life. But he still loves you. He knows that most awful thing that you try to keep hidden that nobody else might know. He knows those worst thoughts. Guess what? Still loves you. He knows you. Now, we don't know much about this guy. What do we know about him? Well, we, all we know, we don't know his name. We don't know his family. We don't know anything. We don't know if, was, this, was he born this way? Was this, was this a condition? Was he in an accident? We don't know what happened. We really don't even know the, the real situation. Invalid or, or, or lame or whatever is kind of a generic term. We don't know exactly what was going on at this guy's life. We know this. He'd been sick for 38 years. Long time. It sounds like his friends have given up hope on this guy. Or maybe life is of, of sick, lame, disease. The Bible tells us all these people are there. He could have been outside the temple. He could have been alongside the road someplace. He could have been anywhere else. There would have been a lot better places to earn a lot more money begging than there. There's a lot of begging competition there. But he was there. Why? Because he hoped, maybe one day I will get in that water. Maybe one day no one will notice that it's bubbling and, and, and somehow I can get in. Somehow this guy still had hope that something miraculous would happen in his life. But it didn't happen the way he thought. Verse 6, Jesus comes up to him asking the very important question. Do you want to get well? Now that sounds like a dumb question. Guy's been an invalid for 38 years. Do you want to get well? That sounds kind of dumb. It'd be like me going up to Carla. Hey, Carla, does your shoulder hurt? And she'd go, pow, does your nose hurt, buddy? You know, it sounds like a dumb question. Why would Jesus ask an invalid who had been there for 38 years, do you want to get well? Well, maybe this guy, maybe this guy, while he hoped he would get well, maybe this guy lost his imagination that he could get well. Maybe just, maybe his faith was more crippled than his legs. And so Jesus comes to him and says, do you want to get well? Seriously. Are you hoping you get well? Now this guy doesn't hear Jesus ask him, do you want to get well? He hears Jesus, which is a simple question. Yes, I want to get well. No, I don't want to get well. But he doesn't answer Jesus back with a yes or no answer. Instead, he, he, he thinks Jesus says to him, why aren't you well? He hears Jesus say, what's wrong with you, buddy? Because we know that because of the way he answers. He gets a little defensive. He says, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. I, I want to get well. There's nobody to help me. I wish I was better, but I, 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 can't, I can't get into the water first. All my friends have deserted me. There's no way, there's no way, there's no way. He starts getting defensive. Again, remember the superstition you had to get in the water bubbling up. You know, the angel blows the whistle. Everybody gets in the pool. Listen, before I get any further, God doesn't operate that way. You know that, right? God doesn't play games. 
And I whole, wrote a whole book on chronic pain. That's not the way God operates. He doesn't, he doesn't say, okay, whoever has the most faith today in the world, that's the one I'm going to heal. And only one person, the first one who has, the first one who says the magic word, that's who I'm going to heal today. That is not, the, God is not some psychopath. God doesn't toy with you, doesn't dangle healing over your head. I've said it before, I'm in sales, not management. I don't know why God heals the people he heals. But I know this, God loves you. And God cares for you. And God knows what's best for you. And sometimes, uh, if, if, if he doesn't heal it, we talked about this a few weeks ago, he doesn't heal it, he'll get you through it. And he'll help you to endure it. And so God doesn't, God doesn't mess around play games like that. See what's happening here. Jesus is dealing in the present tense. Do you want to get healed today? This guy is dealing in the past tense. Let me tell you about my yesterdays. I haven't had anybody to help me. I've met so many people who are still dealing with the past. And they've been, maybe something terrible has happened to them, or maybe it was long ago, and maybe it was something sinful or abusive situation or whatever, and they're still stuck there. They're shaped by that. They can't get past that. And Jesus comes to us and says, all right, today, no playing games, no alibis, no excuses. Do you want to get well? I think he says that to us. Do you want to get well? Sometimes that means changing. Sometimes that means doing something you haven't done for 38 years. Sometimes it means, means opening ourselves up to new things that God might do. We get so stuck in our past and stuck in our ways. And Jesus comes to us and says, hey, do you, do you want to get well? Do you really want to? I'm serious now. Do you want to get well? Do you want to stay the way you are? Or do you want to get well? No, I really want to get well. Do you really? And then Jesus says those powerful words in verse 8. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. What impossible thing is Jesus telling you to do? See, I don't believe that God calls us. He didn't save you to sit. He saved you to serve. He saved you to make a difference. He saves you to do something to build the kingdom, to, to, to come alongside him as we're, we pray all the time, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, if we just stop at prayers, nothing's gonna get done. He calls us to make a difference. And sometimes that challenge might seem as impossible as walking when you haven't done it after 38 years. A long time ago, uh, there was a young man and God called him and said, uh, get up and sell your house and quit your job and go to Bible college. And aren't you glad that when God said, get up, Steve, pick up your mat and move to Colorado, that Steve Anthony did. And it isn't just years ago. More recently, well, several years ago, there was a young girl at a world mission conference in San Antonio, Texas, who heard God say to her, get up, Jessica. I want you to pick up your mat and become a missionary. And she kind of put it on the back burner for a little while. And, and she joined the military and she served our country. But God kept saying, get up, Jessica. Pick up your mat. 
become a missionary. And Jessica Rowland, I think we have her picture on the screen. Jessica Rowland is dude that she met with our church board. She's a young lady from our church. Met with our, we gave her a unanimous approval, our church board did. This fall, she's going to missionary assessment. Who knows, maybe next year, Jessica will be serving Jesus. Why? Because he said, get up, Jessica. Pick up your mat, become a missionary. Would you, Jessica's here. Jessica, would you stand up just for a second? I want you to pray for Jessica. She's got this coming up. And we're so excited. And it's not just young adults even. We've got our summer intern, you heard her on the announcements, is Sarah Hurd. Sarah Hurd, when she was a teenager, a young teenager, started hearing Jesus say to her, hey, Sarah, get up, pick up your mat. I want you to go into youth ministry. And this summer, or this year, she'll be a senior at Olivet Nazarene University, studying to be a youth pastor. God's calling her. He's saying, get up, pick up your mat, go to Olivet. She'll be in the next service. We have, a young, we have a girl that's going to be sitting in the next service, probably on that second pew. Her name is Sophie Will, Williard. She just finished the eighth grade. And she has said, I don't know what God's doing in Sophie's life, but I know this. Sophie is sensing God saying, Sophie, get up. Pick up your mat. I want you to go into ministry. He's still calling people. And I believe he's saying something to you. Now, maybe it's not full-time ministry. Maybe it is. My sister was, was getting ready to retire and her husband was getting ready to retire. They were retiring early and they heard God say, get up, pick up your mat. And so they did, you're a missionary servant. They were planning on doing more, but her health brought them home. They were in their late 50s when that happened. God may be calling you to do something. Or maybe, 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 maybe it's something simple. Get up, pick up your mat, go over to your neighbor and talk to him. Maybe it'll be, get up, pick up your mat, and help us out in vacation Bible camp this week. Get up, pick up your mat, help us out with Summerfest, running one of the inflatables. Get up, pick up your mat, help us out at Dylan. Get up, pick up your mat, do something for Jesus. That's what this is about. He never, Jesus never says, all right, you're saved, sit in a pew and stay there. That is not what it is. All right, so... We gotta get on, we gotta get on. We took too much time, everything else. Verse nine, verse nine, verse nine. At once, I love it. That's my favorite part of that whole verse nine. At once, immediately, no impossibles, no amazing. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Hallelujah, 38 years, all that stuff. He gets up, <sighs> But you know how these stories go. The religious leaders, the big dogs, you know, they weren't happy why it was the Sabbath day. They go up to the dude, who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The guy doesn't even know it's Jesus. He doesn't know, I don't know, some guy, I don't know. All right, we're going to skip all the way. Here, let me take one step back before we skip to the good part. I told you, John tells seven signs in this whole book. The very last words in the Gospel of John, on, the, on page 70, the very, very single last, last, last words. John writes this, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So if there's so many miracles, why did John choose these seven? 
Is that a good question to ask? There's all these miracles, hundreds of miracles. So many miracles, you couldn't even write it down in all the books. Why did he only choose to tell seven stories? I get it, water into wine. It was, you know, the bridegroom at the the wedding. Here's his big opening. The old is gone, the new has come. I get it, I I get that first one. And I get the one that Dallas preached on last week. The, the young man who was in Capernaum, Jesus was in Cana, 20 miles away. Time and space don't matter to the king of kings. I get why John would tell that story. Next week, uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000. All four gospels tell the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. That was a big deal. I get why he told that story. Jesus walking on the water. Most Jews in the first century believed the Messiah, only the Messiah would be able to walk on the water. It's still true. You try walking on water. It's a hard thing to do. And so I get, I get, I get why why John would tell that story. In John chapter 9, the the guy who had been born blind, and there was this big theological discussion, who sinned, the man, the parents, whatever. And really that story is a story about about why bad things happen to good people. And so Jesus is, is addressing that issue. It's a theological issue, and it's an important one. So I get why John would tell us. And of course, raising dead Lazarus, of course, that's a big deal. But why this story? I mean... Of the hundreds of stories he could have chosen. Why tell this story about the lame guy at Bethesda? I think the answer is what happens next. The guy goes to the temple, no doubt, to thank the Lord that finally he's been healed. His prayers have been answered. 38 years of this most terrible, terrible thing, a lifetime spent begging, he goes to the temple to thank the Lord. And guess who shows up? Jesus. And Jesus sees the guy. And what does Jesus say to him? It's in verse 14. He doesn't say, hey, buddy, how are those new legs working out? It's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say, hey, buddy, how come you didn't thank me after I, you know, after I healed you? Because there's no, there's no words of him thanking Jesus. He didn't even know who Jesus was. Now, what does Jesus say? He says, See, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse might happen to you. I'm sure that this guy thought 38 years of being an invalid was the absolute worst thing that could ever happen to him. What's worse than that? What's worse than begging an entire lifetime? What's worse than hanging out in Bethesda with all those other crippled and lame and sick people for 38? What could be possibly worse than that? See, John, we're probably going to read this verse every single week. Every single week, I'll probably go back to this verse. He tells us the purpose of his, of, of his writing at the end of chapter 20. When John writes, And Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written. I'm telling you the story of the lame man in Bethesda. Why? That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And get this, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. What's worse? Going through eternity without Jesus is way worse than being an invalid for 38 years. Jesus said it to that rich guy one time. Remember, he said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? Think about it. Just think about it. But lose your soul for eternity. 
What's the worst thing that could happen to you? Listen, the worst thing that could happen to you is not paying $5 a gallon for gasoline as much as we hate it. That's not the worst. It's going through eternity without Jesus. What's the worst thing that could happen to you? It's not losing your job. Plenty of us have lost our jobs in the past. That's not the worst thing that could happen to you. It's going through eternity without Jesus. What's the worst thing that could happen to you? It's not losing your spouse. As horrible and awful as that is, some of you have lost your spouse. You know what, 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 what that is. The grief, the pain that's endured in that. You know that. That's not the worst thing that could happen to you. It's going through eternity without... What's the worst thing that could happen? Losing a child? We have grief share. I, I can't imagine anything worse. You think losing a child, some of you have dealt with that. You've gone through that. You know the pain of that. It's going through eternity. Losing your health? Cindy, a cancer diagnosis is not the worst thing in the world. The worst thing in the world is going to eternity without Jesus. Bar none. Then I wouldn't be doing my job as a pastor if I didn't say to you, do you know Jesus? That's the whole reason John wrote this book. So that you might believe. What did he tell Nicodemus last week? For God so loved the world that whosoever believes might not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. Listen, we're just going to do an old-fashioned time when you can come to Jesus. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today could be your day. If you've never said, I, I've been dipping my toe in, I know, I know what I need to do, I just haven't done it. Today could be your day when you say, I'm going to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the Savior of the world and commit my life to him. Or maybe, maybe today, today you know Jesus has been talking to you. Maybe there's, maybe you've been a Christian and you accepted Jesus a long time ago. But mostly you've been doing is sitting instead of serving and you know Jesus is calling you to do something. Maybe it's not a full-time ministry, maybe it is. But maybe it's a neighbor that needs Jesus. Maybe it's a child that you can talk to even this week about vacation Bible camp. And coming forward is just saying, Lord, I'm serious about this. See, Jesus says three things in red ink. In the, we don't have red ink in this, in this translation that we've given you. But if we did, the three things in this story. Do you want to be well? I'm not playing games. Get up, pick up your mat, walk, start serving. Stop sinning or something worse might happen.